the vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. Yes, it can seem rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, and it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of your inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. Here on The Christine Uptrich Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Are you ready to step into your vibration of change? Hello, everybody. Welcome. Um, so grateful you're joining us here today. You might be listening live on 1150 AM KKNW in the Seattle area, anywhere around the world on TransformationTalkRadio.com, or perhaps anywhere around the world on Facebook Live, on my professional page, or on Transformation Talk Radio's page. Um, wherever and whenever you're joining us here today, we're grateful you joined us. And apparently, Indy again wants to come say hello. Uh, she always wants to be a part of the show. <laughs> uh, I want to say hello to the people behind the technology. Good morning, Benny. Hi there. I just <laughs> we were talking before the show, and it's like it's a nature show now from here on out. See, we even have even live sound effects. So it's like Indy goes searching for mom on the next episode of the Christine Hapshire Show. It's, it's so great. I love it. Do I lock her out? and have her meow loudly the entire show i, I don't or, think so no no yeah yeah, yeah. Well, I yes like we're talking about you indy yeah olivia agrees with me thank you olivia yeah yeah, yeah. just oh, olivia you are doing what you're doing behind the scenes at ttr oh of course anytime how <laughs> to remove fur from my mouth uh, that's good <laughs> you know i know we're talking about something that's rather amusing right now um but we're talking about a very serious subject today and let me tell you, these are odd times, very odd times here in the United States, as well as around the world. And what I'm talking about it being odd, it's odd in a variety of ways, but one of the ways is censorship. Okay, Indy, you're just gonna have to get down. You can't own the chair. Um, censorship has gotten to be a real thing. And we have to be very careful what we say if we want to be able to stay on um, Facebook if we want to be able to stay on Twitter, if we want to be able to say, stay on YouTube, um, and even if we want to stay in Google searches. So we're going to be careful how we talk about things today, but we're going to do it in a way that makes it very, very easy for you to understand and is such an important bit of information. Today, we've got a, an esteemed guest, Dr. Lee Merritt. She began her medical career at the age of four, I love this, carrying her father's black bag on house calls along the back roads of Iowa, Midwest. I used to live in the Midwest, love it there. In 1980, she graduated from the University of Rochester School of Medicine and Dentistry in New York, where she was elected to life membership in the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. Dr. Merritt completed an orthopedic surgeon residency in the United States Navy and served nine years in the Navy. Um, and she's been a physician in Rochester, New York, um, where she was the only woman to be appointed as the Lewis A. Goldstein Fellow of Spinal Surgery. So she's a heavy duty doctor here. Dr. Merritt has been in private practice, practice of orthopedic and spinal surgery since 1995, has served on the board of the Arizona, Arizona Medical Association and is past president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Uh, she has a long interest in wellness and fitness 
And I'm sorry, my cat's doing it again. I'm just trying to read and (laughs) deal with a cat. Anyway, um, she... She's, she's got some other honors that I'm actually not going to read because it's got some censored information in the title. Uh, she's married and the proud mother of two sons, uh, one of whom carries on the four-generation medical tradition as a general surgeon. I love this. And she says, and the other one is a real job as an electrical engineer. I'd like to welcome our guest today, Dr. Lee Merritt. Hi, Lee. Welcome. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. My <laughs> You know, these are really odd times. Um, I know that there are plenty of people in the mainstream who think it's perfectly acceptable to censor things that could be dangerous. Um, and of course, dangerous is, is a, a relative term. Uh, and I think about how odd it is that people are accepting of censorship on platforms such as this because of the fact that they say, well, you know, somebody else owns it. And I think about what it would be like if we um, were talking on the phone and our cell phone pro- provider didn't like what we were saying, and therefore they shut us down. Um, what is it like to be a medical doctor who has all this research information to discuss, who has a passion for helping people, and to realize that she's going to be shut down left and right um, if she talks about it in the wrong way? Right. Well, censor, the first thing to say here is censorship is not science. So yes. when they talk about, oh, let's follow the science, they don't mean that at all. They just want you to follow their version of the science. Science is about debate and disagreement. And science doesn't move ahead by a vote. It's not a majority of vote. Always science is the guy who figures it out that goes against the grain, right? So right. if you, censorship were your policy on everything, we'd still be using rotary dial phones and or an abacus, and we wouldn't have antibiotics. I mean, you, you, can't, you can't think this is a scientific answer to anything. And just think about, you know, if you were going in to have brain surgery, you wouldn't want to know that your neurosurgeon had been silenced, had been, the information getting to him had been filtered by the people who are making products for his job. You know, that's essentially what's happening here. We're not just being censored at random. We're being censored by the people that have financial ties to the programs that are being pushed on us or denied to us. Um, You know, Bill Gates and the Johns Hopkins University and the, I think the, um, oh, what it is, the, uh, not the Davos, the uh, World Economic Forum, uh-huh. they all get together. And before COVID ever brought, came out, you remember, in 2019, in October, they held Event 201 in New York mm-hmm. City. And the idea was, because, because Bill Gates is uh, very concerned in his mind about pandemics and he wanted to have a planning thing, they had a war game and they, they gamed this idea. And surprisingly, they used a, a, a novel coronavirus as their pretend pathogen. Right. And when you, look at the, when you look at what they recommended out of all that, the first thing they talked about that I saw was censorship. They said, the first thing we have to do is we have to control the internet because we don't want disinformation to get out there. Well, I'm, I'm here to tell you that it was, it was the internet that allowed doctors to link up from all over the world and to find out what works to actually cure and prevent people from getting sick here. Uh-huh. And it wasn't it wasn't in this country. This country, the United States seems to be the worst. I mean, we're even having censorship about what's happening around the world and people protesting 
the, the, the lockdowns and what's going on. I mean, huge crowds in Europe. We don't, we don't see those pictures on the nightly news. Yeah. Unless you know how to get into the alternative news. And I, and I mean, alternative yeah. to me these days is it's what mainstream should be, you know, but it's, yeah, it it's is not. The yeah. 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 The, and mainstream is just propaganda. And, and everybody should, anybody who thinks it's just, you know, the idea of everything being labeled conspiracy theory, it's, it's a conspiracy fact that all, all of the news, mainstream news, all of the big news organizations are owned by six companies. Mm-hmm. And these have, and the major funding of all sorts of media these days is the pharmaceutical company. And the intelligence services are behind scripts. And we know this for a fact. I mean, this is just been disclosed by over and over about the German, uh, his name started with an O that just resigned on air one time and he read, he said, I'm tired of reading the script given to me by the intelligence service. And he was dead a month later. This is not, this is just fact. And so mainstream media is not the news. You guys are the news. Alternative media is the news. Thank, Thank goodness for you. And, and for me, like going back to right before the lockdowns, when um, there was information coming out that, that there could be this huge pandemic, I'm a former research statistician. Besides, before I worked in alternative healing and um, you know, in, in consciousness, spirituality, I designed and analyzed clinical trials and cancer research. I know how to read the medical um, right. articles. I co-authored some of the medical articles. I know what makes good scientific research and what's crap. And I was shocked early on, first of all, by the model, you know, Ferguson and his model. And, and I thought, well, this is really, really serious. And then the more I watched and the more I listened and the more I researched it, I thought, there's a huge disconnect here. There's something else going on. It was my big wake up call that, that there, you know, that it's not just a matter of, um, a disagreement between scientific perspective. As far as I'm concerned, it's something much more serious than that. But regardless of whether it's just, you know, ignorance or a different perspective scientifically, there is a large group of doctors such as yourself who are saying, we've got major problems here. The direction we're going is a serious, serious detrimental direction. So, Okay, so you're you're a surgeon. You you are a proponent of you know wellness and fitness. What got you involved in in this discussion and you know sticking your neck out, so to speak, right. and and speaking your truth about this? Well, the other thing I have is the military background, but I served on the Navy Research Advisory Committee. It's a congressionally appointed committee that looks at defense technology for the Navy and for some of what the other services, but mostly the Navy. And they, by law, they have to have a physician on it. So I had the, the appointment for about four years on the NRAC. And I, at the time, I was married to a senior Marine officer. And I was, so I was hanging out with those guys. You know, I mean, I, I heard the discussions. I was in the locked room when they did we talked about defense issues for the military and I got a feel for that. And I, and then when, so I, after, after nine 11, I started studying bioweapons on my own because, and I did it somewhat when I was on the NRAC, but I did it on my own just to see what was going on when this whole anthrax thing came out. And then the, I remember that it was terrifying. Yeah. Out. So my concern after that whole did, and I studied a lot about it, was smallpox. It's the most deadly deadly virus known to mankind. It's 60% Mm -hmm. fatal, 
not this. This, if you look at last year between January and August, which is the generally, you know, you're over the viral season in that. That's a fairly good, you don't have to go the whole year. You, normal viral seasons last from the fall to the, to the summer. It was 99.991% survivable, this virus. But we didn't know that at first, okay? Right. This first came across, it came out of China, it looked horrible, but it, it was only hitting the Chinese. We didn't know. So it could have been a genetic, you know, biobomb. You know, we didn't know. But right. then it started killing doctors and nurses in, in Italy. And when I, when I, and I was sitting home because at that point they'd kind of decided to shut down elective surgery. So I had nothing to do but sit and, and look at the computer. Right. There is a time to go to your basement. And that's when doctors are dying and we can't save ourselves. So I watched that all happen. And I said, well, what's going on here? Well, at that time, I thought, oh, they really, you know, something bad has come out, but it didn't take very long to realize it wasn't the virus. This was a psychological operation. I mean, it, because things didn't start, started not to add up. For example, I've worn a mask for 40 years. It doesn't take much for me to research like you. I'm, I, I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I'm not a, a virologist, but I can, I know people and that are, and I can research the literature myself and, and understand most of it. So I started really understanding really researching masks because i said look for 40 years nobody has talked about masks stopping small particle airborne viruses we right. lost more people in the 20th century to smallpox than to all the wars put together this is a mm -hmm. an airborne virus that's 0.2 microns uh covid is the sars cov 2 is theoretically one a 0.1 micron or 0.12 microns so so smallpox should be even either easier to trap in a mask than this and we know that you couldn't mask that away or we would have in this 20th right. century you know this is not that long ago so i started listening to this and then i started realizing that not only dr fauci and all the people involved here they weren't just wrong about masks they were wrong about everything we heard we heard people in china saying oh it, you know this would happen we could we could treat it with vitamin c um, we can we can treat it with hydroxychloroquine. Chloroquine. chloroquine had been around. I found literature. That's the other thing that really I guess blew my mind open. I found literature going back to 1974 that they knew in the pharmaceutical research literature that lysosomotropic agents like hydroxychloroquine and these other drugs there are lots of them on that list uh -huh. can treat viruses. But and I could so wow. I'll give them a pass that I, I graduated medical school in 1980. They may not have understood that we could treat them. It may not have been in the treatment phase yet, but it wasn't even talked about as research. I asked, asked my son, yeah, and I asked my son in 2011, uh, graduated. I said, wait a minute, did you ever hear this could be that you could treat viruses with a with an antimicrobial agent? No. Ever heard anybody was researching it? No. I asked mm -hmm. my friend who was a 40 year professor of medicine major university you ever hear this no that's a huge cover-up and i wow. actually wrote an article that you can find about that but that is a big lie that's the and that's such a big lie it had to be purposeful and that's why i'm saying this isn't by accident these things are happening this is yeah. this is a program takedown so so that's for something like like um the flu or the common cold does that mean that that could be effective treatment Absolutely. And that's what I what I really found out. So I'd looked in all this literature and I went the way I did it. I went, this isn't this isn't easy, you know, for the average person. And that's one of the whole problems in this is that this is so technically complicated. You have to know some things and you have to be able to know how to research. So I went from paper to to uh, reference to paper to reference and back and forth until I worked my way back. But what I found was a paper in 2004, I think, and it was basically showing that chloroquine, which is the precursor of hydroxychloroquine, can 
could be used it, in vitro. It stopped the replication of um, of uh, uh, influenza A. Uh -huh. okay. okay. So we're talking well, about in, in a Petri dish. Right. So in a Petri dish, you could uh -huh. stop flu. And I said, oh, my gosh. At first, I thought, because quite frankly, by the way, doctors knew about hydroxychloroquine before Trump said anything, before you had mm -hmm. ever heard of it. Right. And most of us, most of us paying attention that we're in, a, like, I was on an email with Dr. Zelenko and these people from all over the world, Didier Raul and stuff. They were all, we were all on a big joint email. And, mm -hmm. and I could see what they were thinking and doing and what the Chinese were doing and the Koreans. And people were filtering. They were sending all this literature to each other. That's how people figure this stuff out. That's how science should work, where you cooperate and you learn things. Don't just of course. be but what, but what I realized at first, I thought, oh, they just don't like it because they don't like Trump, orange man, bad. That's why they wouldn't use this. Okay. Right. But then I, then I, then this paper came out. I found this paper, and I said, oh, wait a minute, no, it's more than that. It's that if if it, this this would cause their sixty nine billion dollar vaccine industry to go to zero because essentially, you don't need that kind of uh, program if you could treat the disease. So yeah. influenza, you know. Um, and then, but it's become more than that because now we have these other agents and what's happening now is beyond just a financial greed. I don't think you can explain it with just greed. And keep in mind, just to keep this information about hydroxychloroquine secret, it took a major high level juice. It wasn't just one person in one university or mm -hmm. one lab or one politician. This was worldwide suppression of scientific yeah. information. That and I know that it was, it was suppressed actually having in some states for doctors to be able to prescribe it to their patients. Right. Well, and then, and that's never been seen before. And, and let me just make this point about hydroxychloroquine for anybody that wants that the information's out there. When they say there's no information that it works, that's just not true. There are hundreds mm -hmm. of papers showing unbelievable data. And the other point is, is that it, science doesn't proceed. And I love Michael Crichton in this science isn't a vote. He says science is not a consensus. If it's consensus, it's not science and vice versa. So right. it, it doesn't, it, even if you told me there are 200,000 papers showing it doesn't work, all it takes is a few good ones that show that it really works that are so compelling. One right. of them being that in all the countries that use it early and often, the death rate from COVID was 78% less. And it's not just uh -huh. temporary and related because you could say, well, many of them are equatorial Africa, but just think about this. In, in uh, August, I was giving a talk on, on what's SARS-CoV-2 and the rise of medical technocracy. And I gave this in Las Vegas and I was looking at the data and I was trying to find what you want to know is what's your death rate is. What's, what are my chances of surviving this thing? And that's what of I course. found it was 99.991%. I said, but what's the worst place to be? Where do I not want to be? And the worst place I could find at the time was the state of New York with all its fancy doctors and hospitals, your overall yeah. mortality per capita from COVID was 0.17%. Now the, mm -hmm. the, itch, the point though is to say, where's the best place to be? And uh -huh. it, was not a, it was not a fancy place with big hospitals and doctors. It was Uganda and Nigeria and Senegal, 0.00003% mortality in Uganda. That is 10,000 wow. times less than New York state. Now you so, have to really ask yourself why. And right. the answer is this, that they can go down to the corner store and get hydroxychloroquine and chloroquine over the counter. And because they are a malaria area, they're used to doing that. When they're, I have patients, for example, from Senegal, and they say when they start getting a fever for a couple of days or just feeling sick for a couple of days, they go down there, they take a, a, a few-day dose, or I'm not sure exactly their protocol, but they take it over uh -huh. the counter. They don't have a doctor involved. 
Nobody's dropping over from complications of the hydroxychloroquine and they get rid of it. And I can tell you treating patients, the only people that don't believe this are people that haven't treated it. If you catch people and now they say within five days, the earlier you get somebody that's got the disease, the better they will quickly respond if you give them hydroxychloroquine. Now, the way it works is it works by keeping the virus from replicating. Now, if it gets past that five-day window and then you get sicker and sicker and sometimes end up in the hospital, it's true. It doesn't work as well then. But we have other mm-hmm. things like Dr. Corey discussed at the Congress, won the Nobel Prize for treatment. I mean, it is a, it is a fabulous anti-parasitical drug. It has mm-hmm. changed you know, so many people's lives because they're not dying of these different parasites. But it also works on this tremendously. And so he went to the Congress to try and plead with them. Why don't you tell, why don't you, you know, stop this censorship of this? Because people are dying because ICUs around the country, and he's an ICU specialist, are not using ivermectin. Well, ivermectin works by, now that you've got the virus generated in your system, ivermectin keeps it from getting involved in your own genetic machinery, which is the way viruses work by, you know, kind of, kind of piggybacking on your genes to produce themselves. And then it kills mm-hmm. the cell, moves on to the next one, such and such. And that's the way we're, but this stops that. So these two things together are even more powerful than separately. Usually you don't need both, but if you, you know, sometimes you do, there's so much we know about this. Here, here's another mm-hmm. simple thing. This makes you wonder about where we are, who's doing what to whom. Um, and I have, I have the, I have the, distinction of having fallen asleep right in front of Dr. Fauci when I was an intern. He was a nobody <laughs> at those days. And he came to the Bethesda Naval Hospital and was giving a lecture, I think, on capillaroscopic, I actually remember what the lecture was, capillaroscopic findings in rheumatologic disorders. I mean, looking at your thumbnail base and figuring out what disease you had. He doesn't do that stuff anymore. But anyway, and I was so tired because I'd been up all sleep. Probably one of the few lectures in my life I ever fell asleep in. But anyway, you know, I kept saying, the other thing, I was kicking my computer screen and I was saying, why aren't they looking at these few people that are really going down hard? You know, in China, in all the places around the world, when it first started in, in Italy, not everybody was dying. It was like, it was a bimodal, meaning there were two big groups of this disease. There were the people that just walked away from it or got minimally sick and walked away. Sure. And then there were these people that were really going down hard and ending up in the ICU or dead. Who are those people? What's different about them? That's what we should have been looking at right away. I kept waiting for the esteemed CDC to do that. They didn't do that, even though they should be renamed or they actually should be terminated, absolutely. Prosecuted and gotten rid of because that was their job. Disease control. That's what we paid them billions of dollars for and they didn't do it. Well, the Indonesians fortunately did. The Indonesians looked at this and they said, aha, it turns out that if your vitamin D level is above 30, which isn't very high, now, no, you, not. now, we were joking earlier, you and I, you live in Seattle, which is tied for where I trained in Rochester, New York. Those are the two cities with the least sunshine in America. Right. But I used to live in Yuma, Arizona, which is the most sunshine in America. And even there, you cannot get enough vitamin D by playing golf 18 holes a day, six days a week. I know that. I had patients that did that. Their D uh-huh. levels were in the tank. They were below 30. So uh-huh. you need to take supplements. But if you're above 30, you have less than 5%, I think it's less than 4% chance of actually ending up in the ICU or dead if you're already in the hospital. So if you generalize uh, that over a world population, if you're out, if you're in the random person, you, you get your D level up, which we've known this about flu, by the way, for decades. I know there are really multiple studies about that. Yeah. 
in real life. So a simple thing, why did the why did uh, the great CDC and our experts in medicine not at least tell people, hey, take some vitamin D. You need to take five to 10,000 units a day, big dose, get your levels up. Also zinc. Now it's come out that 50% of the people dead of this are deficient in zinc. These are cheap. These are cheap uh, supplements to take. I mean, I, I, I have a, I, I'd sell those out of my office because I've always sold vitamin D because I'm an orthopedic surgeon. I want people to be well. And that's a big thing. I see adult rickets. So I have 10, I can tell you the price, 10,000 units of vitamin D for four months worth for $16. There is no excuse for them not to tell us to take and, and doesn't zinc stop the any virus from replicating within the cell? Yeah. You have to have enough zinc level for the, these other drugs to work. It works well for the hydroxychloroquine to work because the zinc gets into this little part of the cell where the, where the virus goes to, to replicate. And it, it, it acts in a way that it basically poisons the replication process. So yeah, that, that's, so you have to have both. And, uh -huh. and so in zinc, I will tell you, having years ago in my wellness practice, been interested in this and i tested even my kids they, they're very sophisticated tests you can do to see what you're really deficient in mm -hmm. and not and it showed that everybody i tested was deficient in zinc including my kids which were young and they absorbed everything so i think our soils are deficient in zinc so that's a, interesting and i actually i have on the website i have a website you can have your people go to if they want to but i have a, a nine supplements everybody should take and that comes out of that experience Okay, we've five hundred dollar test. If you take these nine things, these are things that everybody needs to think and dear on that. Yeah, and Just so what is your website? Oh, it's uh, well, you can actually do the medicalrebel.com. I love that because I decided that was my new goal in life. It used to be my name was too hard to type out, so they can just go to the medical rebel or medicalrebel.com. Right, right. Yeah. We're going to go to a quick. We're going to go to a quick break, but when we return. I'm going to want to hear your perspective on um, this jab, so to speak, that is that yeah. is being offered, because there are a lot of people, and I, I'm I'm amazed at the the number of people who think this is a good thing, and I'm I'm really okay. going to want your perspective on this. Stay tuned for more with Dr. Lee Merritt here in just a few moments. This is Peggy Snow, practitioner at Stellar Reflections, with a Stellar Reflections minute. So many people these days are trying to find ways to relieve their stress. What happens to our breathing when we're feeling overwhelmed and stress? When we tune in, we realize that we're either holding our breath or taking very shallow breath. To signal the body that all is well, which most of the time it is, sometimes all that is needed is a nice, deep breath to break the cycle. First exhale to get all the stale air out by engaging the abdominal muscles and blowing gently. Next, take a nice, full breath in, feeling it fill your body all the way down to your hips. Release fully and enjoy the freedom of movement. Notice how your body feels. Do you feel refreshed? Calmness is only a breath away. This has been a Stellar Reflections Minute. For more information about what we offer at Stellar Reflections, visit us at StellarReflections.com or call 425-999-9836. That's 425-999-9836. When you lose a child, you find yourself part of a club that you never chose to join. There is a way to find meaning and joy in your life again. Jen Ripa has created a six-week sacred grief system 
helping you let go of grief, heal with compassion, and understand what's available to you in the rest of your life. It can feel scary acknowledging that a part of you wants to move forward because you're not sure how to do it in a way that honors your child. The good news is that when you allow yourself to address your grief in a multi-sensory way, you can transition from sadness, regret, and hopelessness into a life that gives you peace, joy, and meaning. Jennifer understands with deep compassion how you're feeling because she's been there. For more information about the Sacred Grief Course, visit thriveology.com. That's T-H-R-I-V-O-L-O-G-I-E dot com. The vibration of change, that magical place where life shifts from struggle to ease, from stagnation to forward movement, from old ways of being to new ways of becoming. If you're like I am, it can be rather elusive to get there, but when you are in it, you feel it down to your very core, don't you? And it can positively affect everything in your life, from your relationships to your health and well-being, from your career path to your abundance, from the quality of that inner connection to the fullness of your self-expression. On The Christine Upchurch Show, we explore ways to get into that vibration of change with experts in the fields of consciousness, psychology, spirituality, health, healing, and science. Join me, Christine Upchurch, every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on KKNW AM 1150 and Transformation Talk Radio and learn new ways to step into your vibration of change. Welcome back to the Christine Upchurch Show and the Vibration of Change here on KKNW AM 1150 in the Seattle area and Transformation Talk Radio around the world. I am talking to the esteemed Dr. Lee Merritt, and we've been talking about uh, the pandemic and some things that just don't make sense. Um, so, Lee, I'm really curious about your perspective on this jab that's being offered as a solution to our supposed problem here. Uh, is this a typical jab, or is there something different about it? And um, should we be concerned? Well, um, the, basically, you know, I'm surprised how many people are lining up to get this. They don't know what's in it, and even your doctor doesn't know what's in it. Right. Even people involved don't know. There are only a few people at the top of this whole research arm absolutely know what's in it. Because, well, they don't know what's in it. They don't know how it works. They don't know that it killed the animals in the research studies over a number of years we tried to get this technology to work for SARS and MERS and the animals, the cats and the ferrets died and they yes. died of immune enhancement and, and different things. So, so say what immune enhan enhancement, enhancement is. So I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to can you explain to our, our viewers and listeners what immune enhancement is? Because that right. sounds like I'm a good thing, right? Yeah. yeah, I'll go through that. I was just going to say they also don't know that this is not approved. So whatever we want to call this thing, I like to call it an unapproved genetic agent. We don't know really exactly. And, the, and, and it was rushed through. So when you rush things through the FDA, what happens is there's no independent review. So nobody has taken a vial of this. I talked to Judy Mikovits about this just today. No, nobody has taken a vial of this and actually genetically decoded it to know what's in there. We have some, mm. some, some snippets that are coming out, but we don't really know. So here's, here's what happened in the, in the cats. And this is, I think, a very important, this went way back, but, it, but in around 2004, and I found 
um, the guy's name was Reno Rapoli. He was reporting about this as, a, as kind of an editorialization at the end of an article in the virology journal about the attempt to make a SARS vaccine. And what they did was they tried this uh, mRNA technology and they tried it on, a, on, a, on cats that get coronavirus. They're, they're, we, when we get coronavirus, by the way, the naturally occurring coronavirus, it gives us a cold at the most, okay? But cats get this uh, intra-abdominal peritonitis or something. They get some more serious problems. Okay. So the vets were working on this and other people. And so they tried, they gave the cat the, the injection. We won't use that V word. I don't want you to get knocked off. It's like, this is, this is ridiculous. It's like Voldemort. Yes. can't say Voldemort. It's the two shall not be named. But, we, <laughs> but, we, but anyway, they got the injection and they were fine. But then two weeks later or three weeks later, whatever, they would then try and after they've had time to develop their immunity, theoretically, they gave them a challenge of the virus, of the coronavirus they were trying to make them immune to. And, and that just means that they're just getting exposed to the virus that they- they're exposed. Could, they're, they're, yeah. they're okay. Give it to them in the air. And so now they're, they're seeing what happens. Well, what happened is, you see, instead of having their natural immune response react, they now have this stylized programmed immune response from this injection. And so that those antibodies went out and instead of killing or, or neutralizing the virus, it coded the virus. And the virus comes in like a Trojan horse. It replicates unchecked by your own immune system, creates this huge inflammatory um, uh, sepsis, and the, the, the animals died in sepsis and cardiac failure. Now, one of the things that I noticed, because literally I'm, you know, to me, this was kind of like watching a, you know, a Law and Order Who Done It series. I mean, it was when it first came out. I, I was just documenting stuff and reading stuff, and I was just on my computer eight hours a day, which I never usually do. I'm moving around and talking to patients. But one of the things that I saw early on in Wuhan was that there was there were three groups. There were the groups that just walked away from this or never got sick or had a little bit of illness. There were the groups dying in the ICU, and then. There were this smaller, smaller, smaller number of groups of young men, mostly slender, young, 30-ish type men that were walking along the street and were gonna, and they drop over face planted onto the sidewalk and they were dead on arrival. And who are they? The, the question I had is, who are they? Well, finally, some pathology sneaked out that said that they had they were dead of um, overwhelming sepsis and cardiac failure. They thought they got COVID. They were dead of overwhelming sepsis and cardiac failure. When they used those terms, I said, oh, I've heard that before. And uh -huh. personally, we never tried, we, we in this country trialed the, 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 the injection for the, the SARS, the, the mm -hmm. V word we won't use, but we didn't try it on humans. But the word, word on the street was the Chinese did. And I suspect those people, I can't prove this. This is just my concern. This is when, why I, this is my evolution of my thinking as i was watching this come across i saw those guys and i said i wonder if those were former military that years ago got the initials experimental injection never mm -hmm. had the, because sars went away right uh -huh. they never sure. got exposed to it again until now and now they got exposed to it and, and this took them an actor on their putting their hands out it's just too devastating so i think uh -huh. that's what happened so that is, a, that is a real concern. And now we've had, there was a young, uh, this, it also perks up my ears after vaccine, after these, these injections that when somebody dies, I'm looking at the VAERS, the vaccine uh, adverse event reporting system. Anyway, right, there was an right. orthopedic, young 37 year old, I think, orthopedic surgeon in Knoxville, no, Memphis, Tennessee. 
and he got his first injection unbeknownst to him he had had the virus before so he had some antibodies around apparently and he was asymptomatic from his from, from the illness but he took the injection he was dead in a few days of this Im immune it's called multi-system immune or multi-organ multi immune system yeah so yeah so we're getting a strange interference sound right oh, yeah let me just i think i can stop that let me just see if i can okay. stop something okay so folks stay tuned you, okay. you don't want to miss more of what dr lee Merritt has to say um we are in interesting times and i'm hoping that after you watch this you will share this with your loved ones your friends your open-minded peers because um this is a this is a choice that each individual has to make. I know that in some countries and some jobs it's being forced, but um, it's very, very important that um, people are informed. Okay, go ahead. I'm back. So I just want to say that I've been looking at Israel, and I don't know if you saw that coming out of Israel, but yeah. they had a program. They have a program. They're really trying to get all Israelis to take this injection. And it's mm -hmm. the Pfizer injection, which is the same one that we would have in our area in the Midwest, for example. Mm -hmm. And it's the predominant one. It is the mRNA technology, which has never been used in humans before, by the way. Mm -hmm. And and so what they did, some, some independent people, not the people in, you know, the early on when Pfizer came out with this, and I read the um, request for authorization from the, the FDA, they, they came out with the numbers and so that was, other people could examine that. Mm -hmm. They came out in the news and said, it's 95% successful, you know, but the, oh, yeah. but the British medical journal, Dr. Doshi and reviewed it, who's an expert on this. He looked at it and he said that it's less than 1% absolute um, difference between the, the, the controls and stuff being, meaning less than 1% absolute immunity. In other words, you don't, you don't get absolute benefit. You, it doesn't stop transmission. Right. So, and and, so and they play with the numbers to make it the 95% right. sounds it. a lot better. It's, it's, it's a very small percentage. Yes. And he said that it's less than 30% relative benefit, meaning that it may make, if you get, get COVID, he said it's the, their, their, their relative benefit definition was if you get COVID, you'll have less symptoms than if you didn't take the vaccine. Now, so right. first of all, I wouldn't take anything on that basis. That's not, not enough to make the risk worth it. Really? This right. is smallpox. But what has happened, it's not seeming to be even true when they've seen what happened in Israel. So in Israel right now, there's an engineer and a uh, biologist that have teamed up. And Dr. Seligman is the biologist. And um, I think it's Hativ is the last name of the engineer. I have to look that up. But they, they've been reviewing the data to come out. And they have 1.33 million Israelis now have taken the injection. They have a population of 8 million. Now, what they've had in the in the uh they expected that if they started this vaccination program in mid-december that by mid-january the cases of the, the deaths and, and and illness from covid we're not just talking about tests now we're talking about ill people that right. that went down but in, it actually it started going back up and now it turns out that if you're over the deaths from covid if you're over 60, the deaths from COVID, you're 40 times more likely to die from COVID if you take the injection than if you didn't. If you're under 40 30, times, 40 times more yeah. likely to die. Zero. 
Yeah, yeah. You're more if you get ill and you've had the injection in Israel, you're 40 times more likely to have uh, a fatality. If you're under 39, it gets worse. It's 240 times because young people don't die of this, but now they are. Now there's another, and, and again, there's another. There's some really good. One good thing about this being in Israel is you've got you're not mixing a lot of variables. You've got one type of injection, one company's uh-huh. injection, and you've got a graphically I mean, similar population. But there's some interesting subgroups in there. So when everybody else was masking and social distancing and doing all that, there were two subgroups that didn't, the Orthodox Jews and the Arabs in Israel. Okay. Okay. They didn't, they didn't, they didn't do all those things. They did, they did okay. You know, they were okay. But whatever those numbers were after then at this point, the Orthodox Jews decided to get in line for the injection and the Arabs did not. The Arab death and illness rate from COVID is continuing to drop very, very low. Guess what? The Orthodox Jewish population now, it's going up. And again, we're in the Gaza Strip, where we have uh, Palestinians who did not get the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the world was upset because they were being denied because they were underprivileged and un- underappreciated. But it turns out that they're not dying. <laughs> you know, they're not having the problem. Interesting. With the Israelis. Yeah. So. I think it's a. I think this is a. This is even more important than what you can find in VARES right now. Although even in VARES, I can tell you that 95. I looked at January and February. Mm-hmm. That 95 percent of the deaths, the vaccine deaths reported in VARES, and VARES is not always perfect. It's it's open source, so anybody can report anything. Right, um, and and people can die of something else. You know, sort I, of coincidentally. So it's not always proven causality, but yeah. it does. And not a lot of doctors even know how to report into it or that it even exists, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. But the point is, is that it, it allows everybody to put the data in and then let us make sense of it. We can go through right. and look at every case and decide if there's trends. And you can look at trends among big populations. And what I can tell you is 95% of the deaths are from this vaccine. When you lump all the other vaccines we give people, sorry, these agents all together, mm-hmm. that's 5% of the deaths. So something's happening. And, yeah. and the other thing we're seeing is a, is a, is a, a platelet problem. And the platelet problem, I first became aware of when this young doctor, 56-year-old doctor in Florida, 56 or 57, and he was in- yeah, That would be GYN, yeah. yeah. Yeah, he had no problems, he had no medical problems, took this, this injection, and then four days later was dead with zero platelets. Now that's not something I've ever seen or heard of until now. We there are platelet disorders. It's called ITP or idiopathic thrombocytopenia purpura. People can lose their platelets and start to have bleeding, but you don't lose them all. And usually you can be sustained for years, even if it never recovers. You don't die in four days. And a lot of times you can figure out what oh, was due to a drug or something that you got into. You got some kind of allergic autoimmune reaction. You take it away. Your platelets come back. You do okay. This is not that. This is something else. And I heard Dr. McCullough say it had to do with some kind of autoimmune antibody clumping of the platelets. And that makes sense when you see, if you go into the VAERS and you hear people now, and I've, you kind of know things as a doctor because people talk to you, right? Sure. And, they t- and you sense trends happening. And one of the things that's happening are brain bleeds. Young people, they take an injection and they have, they die of a brain bleed or they develop a brain bleed. And they're not putting it together that that's due to this always. 
but uh-huh. it's, it may be a manifestation of this, whatever this platelet abnormality is. So it's mm-hmm. going to, the, the jury's out on, on the, on the ultimate thing, but here's what I'm really worried about. And I talked again, I, I had the opportunity today to talk to Dr. Mikovits and she's the real deal scientist. I mean, I'm just she is. Yeah. with skepticism and a military background. And I think we're at war and that this has been weaponized against us, not just uh-huh. the, the injection, but this whole thing. I mean, yep. masks don't work. They're using it as a symbol of submission. You know, right. it's a terrible thing for our children. We're damaging a whole generation of Americans are damaged from this. And, and people need to, by the way, I need to wake up about that because, you know, in Sweden, there are 1.9 million school children in 2020, didn't miss a day of school, didn't mask, didn't social distance, mm-hmm. not one death of the children. And their teachers wow. did not get sick at any greater rate than anybody else. By May of 2020, the Karolinska Institute said 30% of our population is already immune. And they did it not because of antibodies. You can be immune without antibodies. That's another, you know, it's just they tested people. So there's no reason to keep our kids out of school. There's no reason to keep them in masks. Masks, children need to see your face for psychosocial development. And I I have a friend pediatric psychiatrist, he says, these kids are not all going to recover. This is a generational problem we've just mm-hmm. we've developed. So, so that's it. But, but this whole, this whole issue now with this is, is that it's not, I've heard, I ask, people always ask me, is it getting into our DNA? The, let's see. Of, of biochemistry is not the level to answer that completely. But I've got now help from Dr. Mikovits. And what she told me today was this, and this makes sense. This is what's really happening. It does damage your DNA, but not direct, not by intercalating into it, not by getting actually part of it. Okay. It, it turns out that messenger RNA, which this is mRNA stands for messenger RNA. Uh-huh. It turns out in our bodies, that's a major kind of epigenetic controller of our DNA expression. In other mm-hmm. words, your DNA is this big, big, huge, long, uh, double helix of, of amino acids that are essentially, essentially, it's like a computer program that becomes you. That's how you make your proteins. But some of it is just curled up and doesn't get used in most of your life. And it gets uncurled and used when you need to make certain things. And that is controlled in a lot of ways by, by this, by these MRNA messengers, your body makes this all the time, but they're very short lived. When they're too long, when you have too much of that stuff floating around, you get autoimmune disease. And that's how right. we know when we test you for lupus or rheumatoid, that's how we, we know you have these things. One of the tests is we look for those strands of, a, of DNA or RNA floating around too long. Well, what this is, is a strand of RNA that's made to float around too long. And, it, and so it, 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 it gets into, it, it changes, if it, it can change, it can be programmed to change how your DNA responds, responds. And wow. it can, for example, it could open up, you could theoretically program it to open up cancer genes. You could program it to do certain things, to methylate, mm-hmm. to cause your DNA to clump. You could do certain things that would impact your health, not in a week or a month, maybe not in a year, mm-hmm. but maybe in five years, it decreases. The other, and, and I'll just go through the other concerns. One of the big concerns about this experimental agent is that it's making antibodies to a protein that is very similar to a layer of a woman's placenta, meaning that you can cause antibody reaction to every time you try and get pregnant, you get a reaction and can't maintain the pregnancy. And we've seen it in nature that happens, but not that often. This is, but this is the big thing that, that uh, Wolfgang Wodarg and Michael Jaden, who's the former chief science officer of Pfizer, 
have sued the EMA, the European, um, it's the European med med medical, what's it called, the medicines agency, like our FDA basically, to right. stop the rollout because they said this could be an enormous crime against humanity. You may, and it also uh, reacts with the protein in sperm. So you could be causing a whole generation of people to become infertile for right. permanent or period of time. We don't know. So, you know, I looked at, at these, um, those various sites that, that are showing people's reactions. Um, and one of the one that I've, one of the ones I've seen over and over again is pregnant women who are getting this, and then within 24 hours, they're having a, you know a, a miscarriage or a stillborn baby. Um, and I, so, could it be the same mechanism that is affecting the placenta in pregnant women? I I would think so, but I don't know. We you know. That only pathologists, you know, pathologists know everything but too late. That we'll, we're going to need some pathology on these things. I can tell you in the Zika outbreak, uh-huh. one of the things in Brazil, and was during that Zika outbreak, when they told us, we were only told about the deformed brains and babies, but a lot of, but that isn't the whole story because what happened is most babies, even in the Zika outbreak, if the mother got Zika, the baby was normal. What happened was, the, but they lost some babies, and when they did the placenta analysis, they found the baby was normal, the mother was normal, but the mother's side of the placenta was inflamed as if there was an antibody response to it. So just this type of viral family causes the antibodies to be similar enough that it, it, that it does do that. And so that's one of the big issues. It's, it's interesting that the area, the placenta, that layer in the placenta is really like somehow we incorporated retroviruses into our genome years and years and millennia ago. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is very much a viral, it's the one place in the human body that's very much a viral looking genome. And that's why this thing is of concern. I mean, but, but the, other, the, other, and the other thing you have to, at the end of the day, there's all these risks. What I tell people about this is, is you know, my ex-husband would have been the first guy on the rocket to the moon. You know, there are people that have that, they, you know, he was a hairy sure. father, he wanted to go for it, okay? I'm not that. Mm-hmm. I don't think this is, this is not enough of a deadly virus that you need to rush out and do this. Don't let the right. propaganda machine make you so afraid that you're doing this. And and, and I think we're being the next. I'm sorry, you're freezing there for a minute. It's going to be our liberty. They're going to say, is can, 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 you re- oh, you can, can you repeat that again? You were oh, freezing here for me. Liberty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, um, the, if fear doesn't get people to run out and get this injection, the next will be fear of losing your liberty. I want to go to Jamaica on vacation, and I can't do it unless I get this. Right. I, if that's the case, I'm not going on vacation. Yeah, I'm with Everyone you. Everyone has to make their own choice, but my belief is I don't want to be the first guy on the boat, even if you believe that these are ultimately going to be the answer. Just let right. it and let's shake out for a while. And I think that most people don't understand that this rollout of all of them is the experimental phase. Right. We are the animal experiments. You are. Um, and I've also learned that there are some insurance companies that life, they won't pay out the life insurance if somebody dies due to this experimental treatment. Um, technically, they don't. If you participate in an experiment, technically, they don't have to do that. I think that's true. Yeah. So people could be dying and, um, you know, within a year or two, whatever, whatever the you know, the, the insurance company's deadline is, and the family does not get the money. Get it. That yeah. should be a deterrent. I just, 
I just think the other point to be made here is there are too many things happening to us all at once. Mm -hmm. And I personally think we're in a in an unconventional, unrestricted war situation where we can't, the enemy may not be completely known to us. Right. Um, we can argue who's doing this to us, but it's not just about this. It's about, it's not just a virus. It's not, it's a psychological operation. It's a right. cyber war we're in. You know, they, it's, it's, um, and now this is part, this can be part of that warfare machine. If you think about the fact, just this fact alone, we found lots of scientists working from Chinese, Chinese scientists working in our uh, Pfizer and Moderna, uh -huh. right? Um, besides the fact that we funded Dr. Xi to come over and work in our army bioweapons lab, she was a PLA virologist that worked on this at, in Dr. Plummer's lab in Winnipeg. This, the, the money, the money from our, from Fauci's at NIH went all over the world to work uh -huh. on viruses. So sure. I'm not just pointing my finger at China, but I am saying that this is, a, I think we're in, a, in an unconventional warfare against our nation and maybe even against the world. But mm -hmm. here's the point that brings up with these experimental agents. Just please don't give it to the military. Don't give it to, we're, what are we doing with these? If mm -hmm. immune enhancement, like we're talking about, immune enhancement is a delayed reaction and it can be programmed in. I could build this, I'm not saying this has happened, but I could theoretically build this virus. I could build a new virus with something that doesn't exist in nature so that I know you won't come in contact with it. I could give you this agent made based on this little, this non, this unreal thing. You're going to be fine. It's a perfect binary poison. You're going to be fine. I give you the, the, the injection. You're not problem. No problem. Mm -hmm. But then when I, when I want to, I'm your enemy and I can, I can threaten you. I can blackmail you that I'm going to release the other part of this poison. The one that's going to cause you to have immune enhancement. And I can release it if I want to blackmail, you know, Iceland to pay me $2 billion a year, unless I release it. I mean, an isolated country like that, that kind of could be done. That's right. a war. This is a national security issue. And who are we, whom are we usually, and we've been, the other thing is in all fairness, the people running out to, to get, to be the first in line for this we have been conditioned first we let our children be mandated to have all sorts of vaccines to go to school not all of which mm -hmm. made sense then we've got conditioned that we should have all the nurses vaccinated against uh, flu even though mm -hmm. that didn't that's never been shown to decrease transmission in the hospital and then it was one thing after another first responders are, if we it's, it's it's like our electrical grid you know we have certain achilles heels in our society yeah. if you and take down we're in trouble such right. an important final message um we've we've run out of time mention your website again please oh it's themedicalrebel.com themedicalrebel.com right. thank you dr Merritt. I, you. I truly appreciate uh your your passion and sharing this despite all the censorship and um right. thank you for doing what you're doing thank you thanks for having me and thank you all for joining us here Look forward to talking to you again soon. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you'd like to empower yourself to step further into your vibration of change, please visit my website at christineupchurch.com where you can learn more about my insights, upcoming events, and private sessions.